Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Are you satisfied with your life? Are you really content? Do you have a deep soul satisfaction? Or... Do you find yourself living in a continual state of dissatisfaction? You just can't quite seem to fill that void that uh, is deep down within. And you keep trying different things, but they may bring a temporary satisfaction, but it doesn't last. Well, I believe that one of the sins that plagues the church in America is the sin of discontentment. We have so many things and we're not content with what we have. We want more. And as Jesus warns us in our verse of the month, beware and be on guard. And you will remember from last week that this is the only place that Jesus puts these two warnings together. Other places He'll say beware of something, or He may say be on your guard against something. But in this one passage, He says beware and be on your guard. So that must tell us it is of special danger and importance that we heed what he's saying. And he says, beware, be on your guard against every form of greed which is desiring to have more, not being content, not being satisfied. For he says, even when one has an abundance, his life does not consist of his possessions. And we're talking about steps to contentment. Last week we looked at four steps, and we will look at the concluding four steps or five steps today. And just for, to review for you uh, what we covered last week, and if you're not here, you can go online at uh, the web address given in the bulletin there on the front, and you can listen to the message. It is posted there. Or you can order a tape, a cassette tape of the message. But let me just review for you the four steps we've covered so far. The first step to contentment was to focus your life on God, not things. And I provided a place in the bulletin for you to take notes, and let me encourage you to do so. Hebrews 13.5 says, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. You're going to find contentment in life. It will never be found in things. It will only be found in a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. God has created within our hearts this vacuum. That's why we're striving for contentment. And yet we don't find it in anything other than in our relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Second step, make your relationship with others a top priority. Matthew 22.39 says, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The only thing that we will take into eternity with us are relationships. The old joke says you never see a U-Haul behind a hearse. You won't take any of your possessions with you into eternity. But relationships are the one thing that will go into eternity. And I think God is saying to us that if we're going to find a measure of satisfaction and contentment in this life, we need to focus on relationships, building relationships, healing relationships, maturing relationships, loving relationships, 
not on things. Number three, renew your mind on God's truth. Because there's a billion dollar industry out there that's bombarding us daily, almost constantly telling us we're not content, we're not satisfied, we need this product in order to be content, to be satisfied. You've got to counteract that by renewing your mind continually on God's Word. You've got to replace that bombardment that you're getting from television and radio and any printed material you may be picking up, newspaper, etc., magazines. You're being bombarded with products and things, and you've got to combat that by renewing your mind in the Word of God, realizing that satisfaction and contentment will not be found in these products that we are promised to be the place of fulfillment. In fact, in Psalm 63... It says, My soul is satisfied with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. When? When I remember you on my bed and meditate on you in the night watches. David said when he found soul satisfaction, when his soul was as satisfied as we are when we have a great meal, that feeling you have of contentment and satisfaction, when you've just filled up, you've been hungry and you've had a great meal, you know, you just kind of push back from the table. Got your family around you, you know, and it's just a great feeling. Some of us are going to be experiencing that Thanksgiving in a couple of weeks. Uh, he said, now take that feeling, and if you want that feeling spiritually, and for it to last, meditate on God. Spend time meditating on God, on His Word. That's the way you find true soul satisfaction. And then number four, believe God in His wisdom will give you all that's truly good for you. Psalm 34, Fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him there is no want. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. Do you really believe that God withholds no good thing from you? No good possession? No good circumstance? And if you don't have it, it's because it's not good for you to have it at this time. It's that simple. And you can find contentment if you'll believe that. And you won't always be thinking, well, but if I just had, if I just had that raise, if I just had that promotion, if I just had that house, if I just drove that car, if I just had that motorcycle, I'd be content. No. If it was good for you to have it, God would see to it that you did. Now, moving to number five today, fifth step in the road of contentment is your desire to please and glorify God must be your only motivation for diligence and hard work in your job. Now, why do you work so hard? Why do you get up and go in early and stay late to finish up? Why do you do such a good job at work? Why do you work so hard? Is it because you want a promotion? Is it because you want more money and you think, well, the harder I work, the more money I'll make? I'll get a raise. I'll get that bonus. Is it because you want the prestige? You want the praise of your boss? You want to get that award as best employee of the year? If those are your motivations, I want you to know those are sub-Christian motivations. Because at the root of all of those motivations are selfish ambitions. That's right. You just want to get more money so you can buy more things. Beware. Be on your guard against every form of greed wanting to have more. You want more praise? You want a promotion, a high position? Selfish ambition. There's only one proper motivation. And we see it over in Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 23. 
Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. Our vocational success is not to be measured in terms of our bank account or our position or our salary, but in terms of our faithfulness to God and, and our service to others. Why do you work hard? Is it to bring glory to God? Is it because you realize you're serving God? Or is it to make more money to get that raise, to get that promotion? You see, when you're working for that raise, that promotion, that uh, uh, higher salary, for that bonus, any of those things, you're setting yourself up for discontentment. I mean, have you ever gotten a raise that was enough? I mean, really? Have you ever said, hey, that's too much. Don't give me that much raise. I would imagine that secretly, even if we get a 3% raise, we're thinking, you know, I wish I'd gotten a 4%. Or if we get an 8%, I wish I'd gotten a 9%. I worked hard because I wanted that raise. Well, it wasn't enough, was it? Discontentment. If you're working for the praise that you want from your boss, does he ever praise you enough? Are you ever really satisfied with the praise he gives you? If you're trying to get that position, that promotion, and when you get it, are you really satisfied with it? Don't you want the next one? So you see, any other motivation for working hard other than for the glory of God because you're serving Christ, you're just setting yourself up for discontentment. Number six, realize that all that you have comes from God and it's more than you deserve. Over in First Chronicles chapter 29, David took up an offering for the building of the temple. Now, he wasn't able to build the temple, but... His son Solomon was going to build it, but God said, you can take up an offering so that the supplies will be there when Solomon builds it. So David called the nation of Israel, and they took up a free will offering. And God so blessed them, they gave so abundantly. David himself gave several million dollars in today's currency, several million dollars worth of treasures in this offering himself. But I want you to see what David says after this great offering comes in. He prays to the Lord, and look at what he says in verse 12. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. And in your hand is power and might, and it lies in your hand to make great and to strengthen everyone. And what's he saying? He says, God, we gave this offering, but you know you are the one that enabled us to give it. He even says that in this prayer. He said, we can't give like this. It was you working in us. And in your hand is power and might. Both riches and honor come from God. That tells me anything I have is because God has given it to me. And it's more than I deserve. I preach, I work hard for what I get. Well, who gave you the ability to work? Who gave you the abilities you have? Who gave you the intelligence you have? Truth is, who even gives you that determination and desire to work hard? It's God. Look over in James chapter 1, verse 17. Every good thing. Now, does that cover pretty much everything? I think it does. Every good thing given. And every perfect gift. Where does it come from? 
is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Every good thing in your life, every perfect gift comes from God to you. And it's more than you deserve. Now let's talk about what do you deserve. If God said, okay, I'm just going to give to you according to what you deserve. Now what do you think you'd get? Starts with an H. Ends with an L. All we deserve is hell, folks. You're not seeing every day? Now, I'm not hoping you don't go out and just outright knowingly sin, but hey, you know, there's sins of what we call omission. Things we should have done we don't do. Those are sins. The Bible says, He that knows what is right and fails to do it, to him it's sin. Now, all of us commit those sins every day. Well, what does your sin merit you? If God's going to reward you according to your sin, what would you get? Hell. Is that simple? So that means anything this side of hell is more than I deserve. Right? And so if you're going to have contentment, you need to realize that everything you have is a gift from God and it's more than you deserve. See, where we get into trouble is we think, I deserve more than that. I deserve better than that. I don't deserve for this to happen to me, Lord. I don't deserve for this circumstance to work. I don't deserve this kind of treatment. Oh, but you deserve much worse. That's the truth of it. Anything short of eternal damnation is grace. And so everything you have is a gift of God's grace. And more than you deserve. And that brings us to the next step. You must guard your heart against envy. Because once you realize everything you have is because God has given it to you, He's even given you the ability to work and, and put you in the opportunities that you have so that you can work. And everything you have is a gift of God. The danger is, you'll look over at the next guy and say, Well, God, uh, why did you give him so much more than me? <laughs> He didn't deserve it either. <laughs> right? We neither one of us deserved it. But why did he get more? Envy. Jesus talked about a envy in a parable he told about these workers. These guys are standing there at the Marietta Square waiting to go out to work. And this guy comes out early in the morning at six o'clock and hires this one guy, and takes him out and says, I'll pay you uh I'll pay you thirty bucks to go out and work. He says, Okay, good. He goes out, he comes back again, 9 o'clock morning, picks up another worker or two, says, I'll pay you. Whatever's right, just come work. He works, comes back at noon, comes back at 3. Then he goes out at 5 o'clock and finds these guys. He said, man, why didn't you work? Why are you just sitting there? He said, we've been willing, we've been wanting to work, but nobody's called us. Come on, come work and I'll pay you what's right. One hour, 6 o'clock, quitting time. So he starts paying everybody and uh, pays the people to work one hour, $30. Pays the people work four hours, thirty dollars. Pays the people that worked uh, six hours, thirty dollars. And he gets to the guys that started six o'clock in the morning, and they're thinking, "Man, he's gonna give us more, so we deserve more." He pays them thirty dollars. They get upset. You say, "Well, I can understand that." Yeah, well, you know what the owner said to them. Jesus says over in Matthew twenty, "Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own?" In other words, I agreed to pay you thirty dollars. Am I doing you wrong? 
Am I not paying you what you agreed to work for? Now, if I want to be generous and give these other people $30 also, am I not free to do so? It's my stuff. It's my money. Or, look at what he says to them. Or, is your eye envious because I am generous? Are you envious of anybody today? Man, I wish I had that car they got. And I wish I lived in the house they live in. Well, I wish I had that job he's got. I wish I had her husband. <laughs> or whatever. God, you bless them. Why aren't you blessing me like that? They don't deserve it. But why are you being generous to them? You see, we just set ourselves up for discontentment, don't we? Comparison. That's where it starts. You start looking at what other people have. And you know, we never look at people that got less. <laughs> we always look at somebody that's got more. You ever notice that? And you think, well, why, why? Instead of saying, man, I got so much more than they do. Thank you, Jesus. We think, why, why can't I have that? Why can't I have that circumstance? Why couldn't I have the opportunity to go to college like they did or have the job they have? They don't deserve it. So guard your heart against envy. You know how you do that? It's simple. Mind your own business. That's simple. When you start sticking your nose in somebody else's business, it's not your business how God's going to bless that other person, is it? It's not your business at all how God's going to bless them. Mm-mm. That's between them and God. He's working out His plan in their life, and He's working out His plan in yours. You just be concerned about that. What's going on in your life. And you let God, in His wisdom, in His sovereignty, and in His grace, give as He wants to give to them. And you be content with what He's given you because He will withhold no good thing from you. See, for you to be driving that car they're driving wouldn't be good for you. For you to be living in that house they're living in wouldn't be good for you. For you to have that job wouldn't be good for you. If it was, you'd have it. You can be content with what you have. Next. Believe God's grace will be sufficient for your every need. And here we're talking about discontentment because of our circumstances, you know. Things are just hard. I'm just under pressure. If it's not financial pressure, then it's pressure at work. If it's not pressure at work, it's family issues. I just want out of this guy. Paul wanted out of his circumstances. We don't know what his thorn was, but it bothered him. It was horrendous. And he prayed and said, God, take it away. Take it away. You know what God said to him? 2 Corinthians 12, 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. God said, look, I'm not going to take you out of the circumstance. But what I am going to do is I'm going to give you the grace you need to live in that circumstance in a way that will glorify me. I'm going to take your weakness because of that circumstance. And I'm going to perfect my power in you, in your weakness. Paul said, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Paul realized, hey, if me being weak is what it takes for me to experience the power of God, then hey, come on, bring it on. I'll rejoice in my weaknesses. Because that's the way I'm made strong. Now look what Paul goes on to say in the next verse. Therefore, Because I know that in my weakness God's power is perfected. Because I know in my awful circumstances I'm broken down. And when I'm broken down, God's power is released in me. 
Therefore, Paul says, I am well content. I'm satisfied. I'm content with what? With weaknesses. Some of you have weaknesses. Some of you have weaknesses in your body. You're walking around chronically with pain. And you just have to deal with chronic illnesses. Some of you are experiencing weaknesses and, and emotional weaknesses. Are you content? He says, therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses. You're going through some distress. With persecutions. With difficulties. For Christ's sake. Why? For when I am weak, then I'm strong. Paul said, I've learned to be content in all these situations because I know there's a greater good being worked out. That I'm in this experience because it's good for me to be in this suffering, this hardship, this difficulty, this stress, this insult. It's good for me to be going through this because in my human weakness, the power of Christ is made perfect. And that's what I desire more than anything, to be a living testimony of the power of God. And then the last step. Be content with what you have, but not in what you give. Now, some of you have been thinking all through this process these last few weeks, but, but, but am I to be content in, in what I give to the Lord? Or should I be content in my service to the Lord? If so, doesn't that lead just to being complacent and, and doing nothing? The key is we're to be content with what we have, but not in what we give. Now, I took the verses to deal with contentment and being content in Scripture. And as I boil them down, what I see is we are to be content with what we have. Philippians 4.11. We've seen these verses. Not that I speak from want, but I have learned to be content, Paul said, in whatever circumstances I am. Be content with your circumstances. Secondly, 1 Timothy 6, 8. If we have food and covering with these, we shall be content. You've got food. You've got clothes. You've got shelter. That's covering. You should be content. Be content with those things. If you just have the necessities, be content. Hebrews 13, 5. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For He Himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. Be content with what you have. All right. That's where our contentment is to be. In possessions, in position, uh, in the providential working of God in our circumstances. But what we're not to be content with, we're not to be content with what we give. Now look, you're not to be content with what you give in evangelism. Now I started looking for areas that we're not to be content. I started looking for words like striving. I mean, that's the opposite of being satisfied, right? If you're satisfied, you don't strive. You don't earnestly desire. So I started looking for these areas. Where does God tell us to earnestly seek something or to strive for something? That's an area we should not be content in. Well, one I found was in evangelism. Philippians 1.27 Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. We are not to be satisfied with our evangelism and how we are sharing Christ. We should always want to share Christ more and more and more. 
You should never sit down and say, okay, I've done all the evangelism I'm going to ever do in my life. I'm satisfied. I'm content. No. We're not to be content with what we give in evangelism. Secondly, we're not to be content with what we give in ministry. Paul, talking about his ministry in Colossians, says, We proclaim him, admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every man complete in Christ. For this purpose, also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works in me. Paul says, I strive according to His power, to proclaim Christ and admonish every man and teach every man that I might present people mature in Christ. That's His ministry. He wasn't satisfied. He wanted to keep working, keep doing it, keep telling more people, not being satisfied with the way He was proclaiming it, but seek to do it in a better way each time and see more people brought into spiritual maturity. So we are not to be satisfied in our ministry. Third, we're not to be satisfied in our striving against sin. Hebrews 12.4 You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. We need to strive against sin. Never be content. Well, I'm as holy as I want to be. I don't need to worry about sin anymore. Strive against sin. We need to not be content in love and service to others. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul's talking about spiritual gifts. And gifts are to be used to serve others and build up the body of Christ. He says, but earnestly desire. I think that's the opposite of being satisfied, don't you? But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And I will show you a more excellent way. And then he goes into chapter 13, which is the love chapter. He talks about love. We are not to be satisfied in our love and service to others. And then last, we're not to be satisfied in the area of spiritual growth. Paul, talking about his spiritual journey in Philippians, says, Not that I've already obtained it, or have already become perfect, but I press on, so that I may lay hold of that for which I also was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul wasn't satisfied in his spiritual growth. He wanted to keep growing. He said, I strive. I press on that I might grow into spiritual maturity. So we're not to be satisfied in what we give, but only in what we have. I think this concept can be summed up in this true story about Elizabeth Middlestad. About 20 years ago, Elizabeth was living over in Frankfurt, Germany, and she went for a routine dental procedure. It took four hours. But when she got up out of the dentist chair, she had suffered permanent nerve damage in her right jaw. The damage was such that she had pulsating, excruciating pain worse than a toothache. And there was no medicine she could take that would dull the pain. So she spent six months going doctor to doctor to doctor. She finally ended up in the Mayo Clinic here in the United States. And the doctor said to her, There is nothing we can prescribe. There is nothing we can do that will stop this pain. You must learn to live with it. And she went back to Frankfurt, Germany, depressed, discouraged, I mean, just the idea of having to live with this excruciating pain the rest of her life. 
She wanted to end her life. And she'd done some research and found out that many people with this same medical condition do commit suicide. And she could understand it. And one day she was walking out over this bridge and this river was down beneath and a voice inside of her said, just end it now. You don't want to live like this the rest of your life. Just end it now. And then as she looked over, the voice said, oh, but it's too shallow. You wouldn't drown. But the rocks are there and you'd hit your head against the rocks and you'd die. And then she remembered the temptation that Satan put against Jesus to cast and throw himself off the pinnacle of the temple. And she determined right then, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to trust God. And then as she was walking off the bridge, she looked over this community. And there were these beautiful homes, well-manicured lawns. They had the flower boxes in front of the windows, the white picket fences, and everything just looked immaculate. And she said it was like the Holy Spirit just said to her, this is just a facade. There are people living in these homes that are experiencing great pain and loneliness, suffering the aftermath of two world wars. They're in just as much pain as you are, only their pain is emotional. And she said suddenly she didn't feel alone anymore. And it was at that moment that the seeds were sown for her to reach out to these ladies, these people who were hurting emotionally behind these homes that looked like everything was great. And it was at that time that she had the idea to start a Christian women's magazine called Lydia. Twenty years later, that magazine is published in three different languages. It has a readership of over two million in Europe. Women write her saying things like, After reading your magazine, I felt like I was not alone anymore. Or I have decided to keep my child... And I'm going to name her Lydia after this magazine. She realized that she had to be content with what she had, her circumstances, to live in that pain. And her pain is still there. But she said she takes it one day at a time. Because Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Today will take care of itself. Trust today and then trust God for tomorrow. And she said that she learned to be content with her pain. But she was not content with her giving to help other women with this magazine. Have you learned to be content in what you have and yet not content in what you give? Let's pray. Father, enable us by Your grace to be content in what we have, to find soul satisfaction in You, but not to be content in what we give in service to You and to Your kingdom and to others. In Jesus' name.